Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello, producer Trent here. Welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Andy is another live episode. Uh, We're going to be trying to do a lot more live episodes this year. Uh, We've got a couple coming up at the National Maritime Museum. Uh, Check out the dates for that on Cosmic Shambles on the National Maritime Museum website. And uh, we're going to be popping up at a few festivals doing live shows. This uh, recording is from the Slapstick Festival, uh, which was in Bristol at the end of January. And it is a PG Woodhouse special. You would have heard us talking about it, uh, saying to come along in previous episodes. Uh, And now you can't come along because it's in the past, but you can listen to it. Now, Robin joined by Joanna Neary, who also presents the Wife on Earth podcast on the Cosmic Shambles Network. So make sure you check that out. And Sophie Ratcliffe from the University of Oxford who's a a PG Woodhouse expert, shall we say, amongst many other things. So we hope you enjoy this chat. As always, an extended version of this episode is available for our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support what we do with this podcast and everything else on the Cosmic Shambles Network, like uh, Wife on Earth, for example. Uh, You can pledge as little as $1 a month to... Help us keep making all the things that we do and you'll get some goodies out of that as well. And don't forget, Sea Shambles is coming up May 17th at the Royal Albert Hall. Robin and Josie and Helen Chersky and Steve Batchel and Lem Cisse and British Sea Power and lots of other people as well. Royal Albert Hall is where you can get the tickets for that. On to this week's episode now. Here is Robin and Sophie and Joe. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Book Shambles, the delight of my uh, sixth and final slapstick event of the uh, of the weekend, and uh, um, we're going to be talking about quite a few different things uh, as well as PG Woodhouse. Um, I'll introduce you to if you don't know about Book Shambles, basically it's a podcast that I do predominantly with Josie Long. Um, we talk to lots of different authors and uh, performers and all manner of people, sometimes about the books they've written and sometimes about the books that they love and sometimes both, which is what we're going to do today. And uh, we're joined by someone who I've done, I don't know when we first gigged together, what about 2005? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Joanna Neary, who is uh, just one of my favorite performers. And uh, uh, it's really, you are, you are brilliant. You I'm are doing a proud face. For anyone listening on the podcast, the uh, I've, I've learned this trick. Every time you compliment Timber Taylor, you get another another anecdote. It's brilliant, yeah. And uh, he was he was wonderful as well. And Sophie Ratcliffe, who uh, amongst other things, we'll be talking about her new book, but also edited uh, P.G. Woodhouse's uh, A Life in Letters as well, which would have been a pretty incredible task, I imagine. It took years, yeah. It was bigger than I imagined, yeah. yeah. Well, why did you take it on? Because I mean that that idea of he was a, a, a compulsive letter writer really wasn't he I I just had no idea what I was doing someone I got I got they were looking for someone to edit his letters and someone said would you be interested in pitching for this I just finished uh my PhD I was really broke I thought that would be a nice thing to do on the side I had no idea if ever anyone asks you to edit a letters book in your spare time just be really careful it was yeah it was it was yeah I had to 
I had I I wouldn't have done it if I'd known. It was amazing, but it was a big job. He wrote a lot, like four times a day. It's like it's like going through your emails now and trying to edit them. Well, that is the sad thing, isn't it? Which is uh, the 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 end of the letter. There is something different yeah. about the structure of an email. It's not quite the same as that. I mean, of course, Woodhouse plays in terms of communication, mm. something you mentioned in the introduction, and which is certainly uh, prevalent as well in, in Right Ho Jeeves, which is uh, the, the, the equivalent of, I suppose, Facebook statuses, which is the telegrams that bounce back and forth. Yeah. I know, no, it's, it's, I think with, with email, we lose um, all the little nuances around letter writing. Like, as Woodhouse was making his way in the world, he kind of was, when he was staying at a fancy hotel, he liked sending it on the headed letter paper. He makes lots of jokes about, about telegrams and stops. And, um, and, and so, yeah, the playing with the medium is the message. We've sort of lost the art of letter writing. Well, the, um, just before we get, get on to him, there's a, a couple of things. One was, uh, I'm going to ask you what you've been most recently reading and enjoying. Now, if anyone came to the Tim Brooke Taylor uh, event, Last 1948 Show, there's, there's a book which I was talking about, which I've just found out very few people seem to know exists, which is Marty Feldman's autobiography, which was basically found in the attic of the, his late wife, L- L- Loretta's house. And someone was digging through, uh, a friend of theirs, and finding all of these scripts by Marty Feldman, and then went, what's this? And pulled out his autobiography, which 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 he wrote. Uh, I'm not in, even entirely, not that long, I think, before uh, he died. It was certainly before he died, anyway, that he wrote it. And um, <laughs> it's um, it's got some so many uh, beauty. It, it's very much as well as a book about comedy. It uh, is a book about love. It's about the relationship uh, with his wife. There's some some lovely things. I was talking yesterday uh, with someone after one of the events about the the perfect timing sometimes when dealing with bad news and for the joke. And one day Marty Feldman walked into uh, the kitchen. He just got home and his wife Loretta was in, in, in tears and he, he said nothing. He just went and he hugged her. And eventually she said, what was the, and she said, my brother's died. And he just said, I suppose this is the wrong time for me to say that I'm leaving you, isn't it? And it's like that. And it was the right, you know, that moment was just enough. It was such a kind of, uh, in the same way with uh, um, John Cleese's uh, tweet when Terry Jones died, which was such a Cleese thing to do, which was, you know, two down, four to go. And of course, it's very dark, but at the same time, he, I think, is allowed to, you know, make that joke. Um, but this is a really great book, and it has a lovely, at, at the end, there's a little note, uh, a note found on a napkin uh, in Marty's pocket after he died. So this was just on it. Uh, and he'd just written, the function of my comedy is not to provide answers, but to postulate questions, impertinent questions, and therefore finally pertinent questions, not to open doors, merely to unlock them, not to invade the boundaries of probability, but stand a cool guard this side of the boundaries, somewhere between there's a thesis to pump up the muscle of dialectic or in my case dialectic against the brawn of surrealistic solution i play not hamlet but the second grave digger not lear but the fool mm-hmm. and the fact that he carried that in his pocket like a yeah. reminder yeah it's just gorgeous it, it's 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 filled with and what was lovely was talking to Tim yesterday, which, you know, sometimes you find out uh, one of the worst things about working in any of these kind of worlds is sometimes you're having a drink with someone afterwards and you start talking about your favourite comic and they go, oh, let me tell you a couple of stories. And you go, because well, that's why I always lie. Uh, when people, you sometimes meet someone at a party and they go, oh, you must have worked with, and I won't say any names here. What are they like? And you go, they really love this comic. I must lie. Yes. <laughs> 
They're just as joyous as when you see them on stage. They are not mean or cruel at all. And I've never seen them shoot a dog. Oh, and it's like that kind of... And what was lovely was the reaction of both Tim and his wife was to say, oh, Marty was always such a delightful man and such an energetic and curious person who wanted to be helpful. But yeah, th- this, this book is, uh, is, is wonderful. Um, Joe, what have you been reading recently? Oh, I just finished reading um, Pat Barker's um, book called The Silence of the Girls, which won the prize last year, I think. I'm always about a year out, <laughs> a year or two behind on reading a book. And it's um, a reimagining of the Iliad from the woman's point of view. And it was very, very good. And I was saying to Robin earlier, I did end up being really, really nasty to my husband whilst reading it. Because, you know, it's all like <laughs> just horror and torture and untold misery on these women. And I'm just thinking to my husband, you're suppressing me because you're not making me a cup of tea without me telling you to. And I'm just, <laughs> just like, yeah, I got a bit bitter and twisted with that reading. But also, um, it's a love story. And it was a bit like Mills and Boons, but really dark. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because although, you know, Achilles is really horrible and she's a slave, a sex slave, basically, you kind of want them to get together, maybe slightly fall in love. I thought, that's me being really warped, isn't it? Wanting it to be a romance. But Mills and Boone could be dark. Do you remember we, we used to do a show called The Book Club and I would read out from various Mills and Boone books with uh, orchestral accompaniment. So, you know, we would have Elgar or Vaughan Williams. It would be Stormy Vigil. He was an angry lighthouse keeper. She was a young journalist from Montreal. She's a city girl. He loves the sea. Will they ever find the communion of love? Chapter four, they do. Do you remember um, the lasagna section? You know it. You still know it all. Oh, I used to, uh, yeah. That, I only that read was... the read bits. My friend used to turn the corners on the read bits and then give it to me and I'd just read those bits. Did you ever actually try and write one? I got I was sent yes. off in a manual on how to try and write a Mills. Did you ever try? Really, no, did you I did try and write one, but only for comedy purposes. Okay. Did you try? I think I made a serious attempt, yeah. Right. What was your one going to be? Because one of my favourites is about a French explorer called Dracon Le Loup Blanc. Uh, that, one, that, that one's called <laughs> Where the Wolf Leads. Uh, did, 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 what, what kind of area were you going to go into? Well, I think I've always kind of struggled, struggled to imagine outside myself, so I imagine it was just about kind of a, a, an A-level student trying to kind of think about her photography teacher. It would be something really worrying like that. But you know, that was, it was quite early days in my my literary oh, career. academia Mills and Boone? I don't know because... No, th- th- they usually most... go medical. There's a lot of medical, medical range. Medical yeah. range, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Jungle Nurse is excellent. That's from about the late 50s. Oh, I've spent right. too much. That was the thing. When I wrote a book about these books, uh, I realised I had to read all of them and it nearly drove me mad. You know, between reading Donna Stell's autobiography and, you know, uh, uh, another thing about major, Frozen major. Heart. It's about an Arctic explorer. Uh, and there's a great line where... Uh, Sorry, he is this had, a Mills and Boone? Yeah, it's Frozen Heart. Oh, and it's oh. uh, uh, and at the end of this this enormous... About, about his incredible abilities, eventually he had finally reached the point where he knew the Arctic quite well. And there was something... Bill, Bill, how well do you know it? I think you'll find I'm the kind of man that knows it quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Swoon. <laughs> yeah. The other book I've been reading, I just finished reading, was Spring Torrance by Turgenev, which my um, brother-in-law got for my husband for Christmas, and he doesn't really read, so I read it, and uh, I really recommend it. It's a really, really beautiful book, um, yeah, about um, a young man who's in love with a woman, and, uh, and then it all goes horribly, torturously, awfully wrong. And, and Turgenev, I think, had a close relationship with, um, is it, could it be Schopenhauer? I'm not very good with um, names. Is it, is it him that was a real pessimist that didn't... Yeah. Yeah, so... He was the one who hated humanity but loved his poodles. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's exploring those themes, the idea that we are attracted to somebody because of procreation and nothing else, just to keep our genes going on. It's that sort of theory, isn't it? How's that That's going for the marriage? 
in the turtle level. No, in my no, life. No, 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 you were saying that the reading the barcode put oh, your husband yes. in a bad mood. Oh, I haven't seen him for two weeks now. Okay. <laughs> There is, yeah, also in terms of book reading, Schopenhauer said, you know, too many people confuse uh, buying a book with actually reading it. And I think, you know, that's because uh, I know I do that a lot when I, we were talking about going to Oxfam and stuff like that. And, uh, and I, I, I buy, I've, I've got seven books now by the philosopher Foucault and I haven't read any of them. And then I bought an eighth recently thinking maybe that'll be the tipping point. Maybe that'll be... <laughs> But as long as they're on the shelf, I kind of go, well, they're, they're, that's my brain, really. My brain. And my, I just rub my finger down the side of the Foucault and it's all rushed in like homeopathy. Um, I mean, Diary of Nobody has that beautiful piece where he decides he's going to paint his bath red. And you know, first of all, why? You know that bit, that, like a Laurel and Hardy film, we should paint our brain. Yes, we should. And then at the end of it, as you see them both entirely dyed red, because that's basically and it's trying to scrub off all the red paint he's covered in. That, that, again, that, yeah, the pomposity, the foolish belief, the setup, the fact that at the beginning of that story, you, we know as the reader, or when Laurel and Hardy is the person watching you as the spectator, you go, this is a very bad idea. <laughs> you know, as, as Steve Merchant was saying last night, you know, Laurel and Hardy running a sawmill, it's not a good idea you've not got a good track record with tools and a sawmill has an enormous amount of jeopardy and you know at the end they're just there to, and that's it you know that's the the and that uh, we'll move on to woodhouse because woodhouse right ho jeeves which is the most recent one that I've, I've just been rereading here is another one where bertie worcester he's jeeves doesn't know has, hasn't got a clue he has come up with one of his grand plans that will bring it all together so how, as someone who spent such a long time studying Woodhouse, going through his method as well, seeing the method within the letters, what do you think it is that has meant that he is still, he's, all his novels pretty much are, are, are still available, they still sell, um, and people still delight in them, and they influence people as well? Um, I think one of the things is to do with the style, but perhaps we should talk about that. The first thing, because when I, I, I came across Woodhouse's novels, I was on the standing on a chair looking at my parents' bookshelves, trying to find something rude, and instead I found this um, little penguin, one like like the one there, an Ionicus penguin copy, and it was the, called The Inimitable Jesus. I started reading it, and I just I went, ran to my mum. It was my dad who died a year earlier, and I said, this is amazing. And she, I said, it's just so funny. It was like my discovery. So, But what I... Appeal to me, and maybe what continues to appeal, this enduring appeal, is the fact that it's a world where everything comes right. And that's what people have talked about. It's like an Eden. Everything comes right. So there's a problem, and Jeeves sorts it out. I think someone refers to him as the perfect omniscient nanny. Um, and, and that is, so it appeals to, um, but because of the style, it's not Milton Boone. It's not everything comes right in the middle, but, but so those, that is the first thing that it's the, 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 the resolution of a problem, like a clicking of a box. And I think we like things that are perfectly formed like that. And the sympathy, Good, we can, the characters are just wonderful. That's, that's one answer. That's my answer. Well, there is that, that parent-child relationship, mm. that fact that so often Jeeves knows that he uh, uh, has to allow Bertie to go to some extent through, okay, I've got to let him go and I've got to let him try this. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, and then there'll be a certain point where I need to intervene. And, uh, but it was also, there's a lovely, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned in your introduction to Life in Letters, which is the similes and the metaphors in it, like one of the ones that I particularly love in Right Ho Jeeves is 
uh, where uh, a, a moment of desperation is described as like a drowning man trying to clutch a straw hat. And that image <laughs> of yeah. is, is a beautiful... Mm. Yeah, the, the, I, I read a lovely one this morning. So um, his voice sounded like a car full of tin cans going over gravel, and that's the introduction to the character. And it's so, so lovely. There's not acres of exposition about what colour hair they had and what they were wearing. Mm. It's just, it's just so beautifully, generously, isn't it, to, mm. to describe it in such a perfect way and to work that hard to get it right. And they're more, they're, they're, they're that, and they're more. I mean, that my, my phone, I, I wrote it down because I didn't want to bodge the the cadence. This is a character called um nobby enjoy in the morning um uh, she well, her real name is zenobia but i mean we could all try and work out what a woodhouse name would be some sort of think of a local snack and then add up you know the, name, the road that you first lived in a sort of twiglet finchley would be mine but um, <laughs> she, so this is this is um this is my favorite somebody she came this is nobby she came leaping towards me like lady macbeth coming to get first-hand news from the guest room and he's, he's, Nobby has been trying to get Bertie Worcester to do something he really doesn't want to do. And that simile then takes you into another story. He's taken um, Nobby and what she's doing in the situation. Suddenly we're with Lady Macbeth. And the idea of Lady Macbeth and the guest room, he's sort of transformed Shakespeare. So he does stories within stories. They, they get kind of lunatically out of control, his similes and his metaphors. <laughs> and that's extraordinary for me because um, and he went to the same school as Raymond Chandler who also does these really crazy extended similes and metaphors that take you into sort of super new worlds. I don't know, we could just spend, should we just spend an hour reading out bits of book? Well, it is, there's a, um, well, I'm just, I want to know what your uh, name would be. Mine is rather rubbish. Mine is, is uh, I, I would be What's It Cheney's. Um, which I don't, I don't think yeah. so. That means I'm actually a character that's in part, you know, forgotten in the club. Some, somewhere behind Gussie Finknottle stands yes. What's It Cheney's. Well, yes. yeah. I'll be Peanut Sagar. <laughs> now that's a Raymond Chandler name for sure. <laughs> Peanuts, when Peanuts Agar walks into the office, we know there's trouble. So you've got. Uh, I found my there. quote that I like. Well, um, this is from Carry On Jeeves. Um, and I, I just love this. It's, uh, and it's quoted as well in Joy in the Morning. He often uses the same, same similes in different novels, mm. I've noticed. But sort of, and that's Bertie Worcester's, isn't it? They're his sayings. That's yeah, why. I guess that's yeah. why it's okay. So this one, I love this one. It's a rummy feeling when you've got yourself all braced for the fray and suddenly discover that the fray hasn't turned up. <laughs> Rather like treading on the last stair when it isn't there. Isn't that lovely? And my very favourite one is um, somebody suddenly, he's trying to um, knock on a door, get a door open, and someone suddenly opens it. And he said, um, uh, he said um, I did a, a step that was as, uh, like a startling and new ballet russe. <laughs> Something like that. I've, got, I've misquoted that. You'll have to edit that out. The uh, no, we're going to keep it in. It's <laughs> a shame. The uh, you'll have a rummy feeling when this is going out. The uh, the rummy feeling. That's the the the, the language is is uh, again that the things that you just want to bring back. Do you think I mean, it's of his time, or do you think he made up words? Because there was that lovely one, wasn't there, about um, being there, about being spang something. I don't know if it, you were saying about America and England. Yeah. Both. He was so in the 1920s. So, I mean, the, the expanse of Woodhouse's life is extraordinary. He was born in 1881. He's a Victorian who lived to see the moon landings and died the year Margaret Thatcher became leader of the Conservative Party. That's an extraordinary sweep. And so he would be reading Dickens and Thackeray and all those plots, then picking up early Edwardian slang. In fact, watching that sort of, watching Grossmith's 
comedies. Bertie Wooster is actually modelled on George Grossmith, who wrote Diary of a Nobody. But that sang, and then in the 20s, he was writing musical theatre. He was a hit, and he would have... See, that's what I, I have no... You know, the, the fact that you say in the instruction yeah. that if he died in, what, 1928, 1929, yeah. he, he would have been... He would have died being known as one of the greatest lyricists. Yes. Whereas now, because of the, the, the weight of his, his novel, I think most people have no idea about that. Yeah, he was one of the great trios. It was it, trios of li- writing lyrics. It was um, Woodhouse, Bolton, and Jerome Kern. And they sometimes had kind of three hit musicals running simultaneously in New York and he, he was all it was all about chorus girls he married a chorus girl and that's why um I'm digressing from the language thing but that's why actually uh Woodhouse's novels are really have really great female leads that the, 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 the women are also like like Nobby have kind of a kind of lots of oomph. He always says he's kind of surge, surging with oomph. Or so they, 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 they're, they're always fully rounded, aren't they? And they they're sort things out. Face. Yeah, they yeah. really sort things out. Um, I think there's an idea that the, the books are written for men and that the women characters in it are kind of terrible or looked down upon, and it's just not true. And I think that's an idea that people have who've never read him. Mm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there are some nasty aunts, some nephew crushes, but there are also some good ones like Aunt Dahlia, who <laughs> looks like Mae West, but a bit... Bigger. Well, Aunt Dahlia's magnificent. Yeah. She's again, the, the, the power, you're right, they're not just characters there to try and bring the amusing male characters down. To, they are fully formed. They mm. are, when they enter, when it's, when, whether it is Aunt Agatha, whether it is Aunt Dahlia, when they play their part in it, that's a, a, you have a magnificent vision of mm, them yeah. as well. And I think a lot of um, his female characters are trying to make their way financially. He was very conscious that when he met his uh, the woman he went on to marry, that she was trying to survive. She was a single mum earning her living as an actress in America. Um, yeah, so he was going on this, the transatlantic liner, sometimes up to three times a year, writing musical lyrics. And he would pick up, he just loved like a magpie to pick up bits of slang. I don't know whether, I haven't kind of, we need to look up kind of P.G. Woodhouse neologisms, how many he actually made up. He certainly kind of makes up new categories. I read that when it was adapted into French, and I say adapted into French because that was the wording that I read. Mm. I mean, you'd think it'd be translated, wouldn't you? But it said when it was adapted into French, they got rid of all the slang because it couldn't be translated or some of the slang, which would make sense, I suppose. I guess that would be really, really tricky. Oh, I just written down loads of stuff I love. This is on unwanted attention from a female admirer. It was the look that accompanied the yip that caused the shudder. A frightful, tender, melting look that went through me like a red-hot broadall through a pat of butter and filled me with a nameless fear. And that's Worcester in um, Right Ho Jeeves, but I really like that. Uh, yeah. Hot broadal for a pat of butter. Again, I mean, just the, the, there are no words wasted. Uh, I love the fact that Aunt Dahlia has uh, published a magazine called Milady's Boudoir. <laughs> Milady's Boudoir. Again, you could, you, immediately you can see the cover. You can see one of those 1930s. I, I bought, in fact, in, in, in Bristol at the Oxfam here a while ago, some, uh, it, was, it was a magazine that was just called Dining. And it was and it was filled with ancient images as far as, of people sat in trains with all form of kind of deviled eggs around them and these beautiful sketches. But Milady's boudoir oh. and and the fact that that keeps coming up all the time that this is a magazine that's in peril yes. because uh, the money that should have been used on Milady's boudoir has been thrown away on Baccarat. And uh, and now she's desperate to make sure. And and Bertie, of course, has written a rather good piece for Milady's boudoir, so he feels yeah. it's rather jolly as well. This was one of the most wonderful things about editing the letters, actually, was um, the fascinating 
life that Woodhouse had in the sort of early journalism, where there really were magazines like Milady's Boudoir, kind of because I think in that stage, print culture was a bit like the early stages of the internet, where people were kind of websites were sort of splashing up. Everyone thought, I can have one, I can do one. He himself, little known fact about Woodhouse was he was an agony uncle in a, a magazine called Titbits. Um, and so he had this job to answer the letters that people would write in with their sort of Edwardian crises. I sort of does my crinoline begin this or what should I, um, how do I propose to this person or what do I do about my pimples? And, but the way these columns work is you just give the answer. You don't say what the person has written in. So you can deduce what the, <laughs> you can deduce what the problem is from the editorial answer. Uh, and, and, and it's just initials like J.A., use vinegar, pimples often disappear like that. P.D., yes, it does, get a smaller one. Uh, <laughs> and um, and so, so he, Woodhouse was responsible with his friend Westbrook, who was really, really way off there, with doing these answers. And they made them up. Um, and he got fired. And he even put his own little promotions for his own novels in there. Like, try reading this book called Not George Washington, published yeah. by... So I, I love that. Why am I talking about that? Did he do it as a pseudonym? Because he had lots of pseudonyms, didn't he? Yes, he had loads. And so he... was the Agony Uncle a pseudonym? Is that why it's little known, do you think? Well, yeah, yes. It's, it, it's, that's why it's... Uh, the, the reason I know it was he was working on... He was working for Titbits and all the little bits where he's promoting his own novels is my, my proof that this was him uh-huh. doing it there. Um, Did but he tried to make them deliberately funny, do you think? Yeah, I think they, 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 were, they were, it's just gorgeous. But to go through all these wonderful bits of print journalism and the, the random things that the ladies put, well, yeah, Bertie Worcester wrote what the best dressed gentleman is wearing this <laughs> season yeah. in that one. Yeah, it, it's just gorgeous. But I like that fact of the, the kind of, he was, he was sort of, whereas Jeeves would have actually offered some decent advice, <laughs> Woodhouse is just off making jokes. But there is something lovely about not knowing the setup because it's like if you just sometimes hear a punchline of a joke without the context or something. Like I, I love the, the which, uh, I don't know, but the Pope's his chauffeur. Now that immediately <laughs> yeah. to me allows the different places your mind can go mm. in, in that. I think is uh, and dress as well. You were just talking about you know writes about the the best dress that plays a great part in Jeeves and Worcester novels which is you know the, the embarrassment of various different again you know very often in British sketch comedy you think the secrets are wigs and teeth mm. you know you watch for instance League of Gentlemen and Inside Number Nine and you watch you know a, a, a lot of the, the the great moments in Fast Show and things like that you go ah oh, great wig fantastic teeth there we go mm. now in this it very often is things like you know a, a, a terrible white jacket with brass buttons which really shouldn't be worn yes. and doesn't realise that in Cannes it really does cut a dash I wrote, I, wrote that, I wrote that bit down. Can I read it? Yes. This is when Jeeves hears about this white jacket with the brass <laughs> buttons. You wore it, sir, every night. It is quite unsuitable, sir. I do not agree with you, Jeeves. I anticipate a great popular success with this jacket. It is my intention to spring it on the public tomorrow at Pongle Thistleton's birthday party, where I confidently expect it to be one long scream from start to finish. No arguments, Jeeves. No discussion. Whatever whatever fantastic objection you may have taken to it, I wear this jacket. Very good, sir. (laughs) And again, it's the perfect setup to the jacket. That, that goes over a long period of time. We have the jacket set up very early on in the novel. Well, those and little waiting. things. Sometimes yeah. you don't know that they're a setup for something, do you? Because there's a bit at the, at the beginning where, in the opening, where he says, uh, We stayed at Cannes about, uh, Cannes about two months. 
two months, and except for the fact that Aunt Dahlia lost her shirt at Baccarat and Angela nearly got inhaled by a shark while aquaplaning, a pleasant time was had by all. So this is right, ho, Jeeves. But then the, the shark comes back in later on. And, and I just wrote that down because I thought that's so... I would have thought that's like... That reminds me of um, Victoria Wood and Alan Bennett, that, that mm. detail that makes it... The colour that makes it so funny and rich. But he's... He, everything, it's all setting up for later on. And it's so throwaway. It's so easily done. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. the introducing the characters, just lightly, they come breezing in. He has a ridiculous encounter with someone and then they come off again. And then later on, they're, they're back as a major player in the story. Does that... I love I love the fact you've mentioned Victoria Wood. It's just the the moment of kind of how she plays with register, like she can play something like raspberry yogurt in and the, the rhythm of, in yeah. a love song, and the cadence and the rhythm. You also talk about the fact that for you, one of the fascinations with the letters was you're seeing first draft Woodhouse. He's not there, you know, with with the books, of course. There there is to to make sure that everything has the perfect rhythm, the perfect yeah. setup, all of you know each each vision that you get but with these of course they're, they're, they're just written here here's a letter for you so how much do you see how in, in terms of does it give you a sense of how hard he worked on the language of the novels absolutely and I think this is why kind of um that abbreviated answer what was it like to edit these letters um it was really hard work because I had to go and find them all and some of them are in private hands so I ended up in some really kind of complicated almost Woodhousean <laughs> escapades I'm kind of in someone's bedroom trying to get them to get letters out of their sock drawer. Um, <laughs> I said to my husband, how do you do this? And do whatever you need to do, Sophie. It's like, okay. But it's a really, really complicated exercises in getting, uh, getting letter collections together. But also people's letters, we don't write letters or emails um, with the same diligence. He crafted and he worked. He said, when he died, he hoped, he didn't hope that anyone would remember him as a great novelist. He said, I do hope they'll say he did take trouble, which oh, I love. And I mean, he, he, was, he worked so hard. He, he didn't get to go to university because of um, family finances. He was working towards a scholarship at Gazan to go to Oxford. Family said, you can't go even if you got the scholarship, can't take the exam. And I think after that, money drove him not because he wanted to spend money. He didn't like spending money. He, didn't, you know, he wasn't stingy. He just had no interest. He just wanted to write his books. But he wanted the freedom to carry on making his worlds. And so he worked so hard. But the letters are very often very everyday. You can see sometimes he... What you can see is how he... And he writes in his notebook that we are different people for different audiences. So you can see him ventriloquizing with one friend, Guy Bolton. He's much more macho and makes a few kind of jokes about women. Whereas with someone else, he's um, kind of, he, with Bill Townend, who's his friend who was writing terrible novels, he's offering lots of sort of stroking advice about kind of, I often find the best thing to do, he said, when writing is to go through it and if anything you think is good, remove it, which is especially advice for Bill Townend because his writing's so terrible. But um there are, there are, there are, you do find that comedy, but what made the editing the book difficult is trying to get a plot out of a life. Life, as we know, is often pretty plotless. I don't know whether you feel that yours, you know, your week has been a massive caper of throwing, <laughs> you know, misplaced pigs and going up and down drain pipes. But there is a, there, there, but, but really, I did have to get Bill on the offer. Of <laughs> he's back. He's back up there. Um, but so we, I think it's that sense of how the language is there. But this was, but you can see the difference from the letters to the novels that this was something, it didn't just flow. And I find that really cheering. It's encouraging, it's isn't in, it? Yeah. I read that he, he had, he felt like he couldn't write at the start. And he said, I had enough rejection slips to pay for a small banqueting hall. Mm. 
And it does give you a bit of, doesn't it? Because sometimes when you read a book that good, you think, what's the point? What is the point of trying to write something? But Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I just quickly wanted to let you know about the thing, which is that Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network exist thanks to generous pledges of our listeners on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast and what we do, tiers start at just $1 a month and you'll get all sorts of goodies thrown in. So go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. <laughs> Were you your use of language in? If you don't know, Joe Joe does these wonderful monologues. In fact, last night we were briefly talking in the in the bar uh, about Brief Encounter as well, which is, and we will talk about your new book as well, which is. Uh, but you love the the way that you play with language and some of the p- characters that you've created in different times. Like you know w- when you you turn the the eighties version of yourself going to the uh, disco to try and impress a boy by dancing to Star Trekking by the Firm, and. Um, the way that you, when I saw that show, built up all of the images and the needs and the fears of a teenager, but all also based around Star Trek and by the firm and those moments of, of kind of... And then the other character, which is, is, you know, further away from you, which is Celia, which is a kind of... The starting point is an imagined Celia Johnson. Mm-hmm. Imagine Celia Johnson hoping for love placed in a kind of slightly stagnant relationship, you know, very much like, you know, before she meets Trevor Ho-hum, Howard. Yeah. Can you just, when, you, when you're writing those pieces of, of, of longing and the inventiveness of the language, can you run us through the well, process what I, what I really loved about Brief Encounter is the, the, the rhythm of the drama. Um, so so um, everything's going along very nicely and I've got my basket, I'm going into town, everything's happy, and then I suddenly had this thought. I mean, that's not a very good example of it, but just that kind of um, up, 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 uh, high, 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 and then and then the deep inside longing and thing. And it, yeah, what I love about Woodhouse and what made me suspect I might have pin- pilfered a little is just that that rhythm, that perfect rhythm. It's so satisfying, isn't it, to read and to hear? And um, that's what I aim for when I write those um, those love um, things. They're, they're like a, a a sweeping kind of dance. You get swept away, and you get swept away as far as it's possible to go, and then stop. So that the the love is built right up, and then no, it's not going to happen. Have, have and it, and it makes people go, your... "Oh, but we wanted her to run away with a window cleaner." It sounded really exciting. Fred's fried, filing a threepenny bit to make her a propeller for a strapscale model dreadnought. Oh. Well, that's the beautiful thing that 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 <laughs> moment of realization, because that's the difference between what you're doing and 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 Woodhouse's Woodhouse. It does end jolly, but your your moments of realizing that one must go back to suburbia and. Yes, old but Fred what, what's doing so, his Sudoku. No, but what's popping. so lovely about Brief Encounter is that Fred at the end, when he says, thank you for coming back to me, which makes you cry every time, is that it would have been just as problematic with Alec, mm. but different. And that's the beautiful heart mm. of that, that film, I think, that you may think, oh, if I went out with, with, with this man here, looking at his lap on the front row, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe all would be perfect, but there would just be other problems. And yes. that's what's so perfect about that film. When she goes back to Fred, it isn't a, a, an ending or a resignation or a defeat or a failure. It's, it's, she's, going, she's with somebody that loves her and maybe suspects something and is going to stay with her. Um, and she wouldn't have been better off with Alec at all. I think that's what I get from that film. Do you think so, Sophie? So think so, and I'm so <laughs> glad because you're often kind of the the the, the f- I, I'm really fascinated by by the the that that movie too, and I um, went to Carnforth uh, for research mm-hmm. my book to stand and think about brief encounter and the trains. But what interests me as much is the kind of yeah, how does how do how does one make a relationship in time? 
work and what's interesting and an affair is one kind of shape of a novel and we can see that happening but how do you make a long relationship work and the, the Fred there's there's a real tenderness to that return mm. um and that and he is in some way the, the hero I, th- I think it's, Look, it's, she's, she's talking to him all the time. Oh, yeah, of course, that's right. Apparently the French were annoyed, weren't they? They didn't go further physically. But I think um, <laughs> if you've not had an affair, I don't think you know how horrific and punishing and upsetting and traumatising it actually is. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you get punished yourself more fold than any... Because you've, dis- you've destroyed something so fundamental about your relationship that she's already suffered so much... And in that in that film, and, and it's an extremely modern film to acknowledge this the complexity of of, of individuals. That um, what's the the song, the Divine Comedy song? There have been many people in in your life. There have been other people in your life. Good good pop song. But that's <laughs> I mean, Noel Coward is another one where I think very often that people's presumptions about his work is they see people in tennis whites coming in and uh, drinking some kind of green drink, and they see it as as if it's a celebration. Of that, and actually, a, a lot of his films and a lot of the plays have a tremendous darkness to them as well, mm. and 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 human pain. If you actually go to them in the same way, you know, Brief Encounter being were a, a, a typical example of that. Mm. And I love that mirror in um, relationship as well in the Station Cafe with Stanley Holloway. And uh, yes, those buns are fresh, fresh this morning. Do you remember that lovely? Yeah. Um, and that's such a beautiful affair, isn't it, in comparison to uh, Alec and, and Laura Jessen? It really is so. You don't get Slap that in the, the pumpkin bum. cafe, do you? <laughs> the pumpkin cafe has not managed to... Uh, those buns, these brownies that have come from a factory are... <laughs> thank you very much, pumpkin cafe. Um, the uh, final question about P.G. Woodhouse, and then we'll talk a little bit about your, your new book as well, which is, um, the is it the escapism, do you think, which is why it stayed? Because, as you said, it is a world that is complete. It is a world which even at the time, is, is, is detached from our reality. So it's a world with joy, and it is a world which it, is that, because I, I can't think, you know, as, as a series of comic novels, to have so many comic novels, all of which are set in a specific time, but that does not matter. The world created is a world that we are still able to fall into. I think it's, yeah, it's that, that sealed, uh, redemptive escape um, that, that is that is so sustaining the style that is so wonderful and for me they are actually really good love stories the early one and so they, 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 that that sense of love of love between Bertie and Jeeves or between Lord Emsworth is interspecies Lord Emsworth and his pig um, is also a very strong strong love story or between the couple that get together um, because they're nothing special, but they love each other. So I think if it was just escape and style, it wouldn't be enough. There's proper love of all sorts, and that's that's what makes them. And that sense that they're a Roman fleur, that they keep coming, you can keep coming back to different characters as well. That there's, it's not just one sealed world. It's, it's it's magnificent, like a divine comedy going on, on and on. And the plotting is masterful, isn't it? Mm. I was reading um, Joy in the Morning. There's a bit where he has to break into um, a house so that uh, Boko Fittleworth can appear to be the hero and you just think but there's a policeman on the premises he's going to turn up and then and then pg woodhouse immediately addresses it so you know what i mean as a reader you're kind of going hang on that's not going to work and then he says but there's a policeman on the premises (laughs) and and said oh damn it that's gone i was going to try and guess what's going to happen you know um and then and then in the end what happened is everyone turned up didn't they it's like um, it's like murder on the orange express they all did it (laughs) sorry if you haven't read it yet also the uh (laughs) 
there are I mean the black shorts I always delight you mm. know every time I see Nigel Farage or similar people of his ilk yeah. I think of him stood there talking about the proud mm. British knee and that that is and I know that uh, you kind of he, he wasn't a political person as such, mm. one way but at the same time he knew where the, the the rich areas to you know and and someone like Mosley turning him into uh yeah, it's such a simple thing. Black shirts, black shorts. shorts. Yes. Where do we go with shorts? Ah, proud British knee. And this one I'm reading at the moment, the love story is between a couple of um, young socialists. And so it's all about communism. Yeah. And every time um, Jeeves mentions anyone like Terje Neville, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, was to think that somebody that he personally knows. <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, briefly, so you, you have a, uh, your book is coming out in paperback. Uh, last night you gave me the trailer, which, as you said, Love, Death and Trains. Yeah, yeah. Love, death, trains, and me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. It's so it's a it's a it's a memoir, but uh, with a bit of a difference. I I was trying to write as honestly as I could about stuff we usually hide from other people without getting fired or getting divorced, and it's so far so good. I'm still married. The paperback says Sophie Radcliffe is still married and lives in Oxford, so that's going well. Um. Yeah. So it's um. I was talking, uh, so we're in a comedy, it's, it's partly about grief, it's about my dad, I'm who I mentioned who died when I was a child, and it's about the effects of childhood bereavement, and it's about how grief can make you um, harder as well as softer, and it's about going off the rail and some teenage discos, and an affair I nearly had, so it's sort of brief encounter again, but with... Um, we more, have got a lot in common, we should be friends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> brief encounter, but with... More, more Lego and a bit more sex um, and I do all this thinking and I also but I'm also thinking about two other women with affairs and I think so I'm thinking about Anna Karenina and so it's that's where the train so I, I mix my story up with the story of Anna Karenina and also with a woman called Kate Field who's an American journalist so we're sort of like Russian dolls all these stories and I do my thinking about all this on a train from Hull to Oxford so that's the sort of brief encounter line it's it's meant to be, uh, people say it's brave, but they say that about lots of things you shouldn't do, like naked skydiving. So I'm not sure about the, it's very brave. Um, but it's meant to be funny, and it contains at least one orgy uh, and a really good description of a Chiltern Railways buffet car. So that's that, it's a, something Chilton for everyone. Railways have a buffet car. I didn't know Chiltern Railways had a buffet car. Um, I think they do. I can't remember. Maybe, it, maybe it's not a Chiltern Railways. It's definitely, I can't remember which bit of the book my, my buffet car comes on. There was a really good, Buffet car announcement on my way to Bristol, but the buffet car never came. I felt still, 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 still wrangling over that. Oh, the Raven. buffet car. <laughs> <laughs> when so is, the, when the fresh buns coming? Yeah. There's no fresh buns. We're not going to Welcome to Exeter, St. David's, Exeter, St. David's. Hot bacon rolls will shortly be available in between here and Plymouth. <laughs> oh, that was so good. <laughs> oh, I'm from Cornwall. Uh, she does all the voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I once, uh, jo Joss Ackland was often on my train when I was coming back from Cornwall. He d I found out he doesn't like eggs. He gets very angry with eggs. I so if you wondered about carriage. Joss Ackland, I was once in a hotel in Folkestone because I've travelled and uh, and there was uh, I was sitting having breakfast and suddenly I heard Joss Ackland's wonderful voice furious so no one had mentioned there was going to be a poached egg on the kipper and he does not eat eggs and it was a it fell, it, he's written wonderful memoirs by the way Joss Ackland the great actor Joss Ackland I really highly recommend his memoirs again I mentioned about Marty Feldman's book is so much about love and the story of, of uh, Joss Ackland's uh, love for uh, his wife is, is very beautiful, very sad as well, but I highly recommend that. I love the fact that your book now, the, the real thing is it's the, the sex and Lego, because there's some people, I know the kind of people who listen to this podcast, yeah. and some of them want to go, that's my Venn diagram on what I'm looking for. 
in, in a Mills and Boone book. That moment, as he lunged, he didn't realise there was a piece of Lego. Ow, oh, my oh. bloody foot! It was too late. A small construction worker was embedded in his heel. Um, the... Uh, I'm just going to mention a final thing uh, because the uh, podcast, uh, because the, the the slapstick festival, we, we haven't I, we haven't had a celebration this year because it, it wasn't possible to to do because it's so recent. But I was interested to see uh, Terry Jones, who was so many things uh, and whose whose work I, I adore. Um, that I was reading something this morning which said that Terry Jones really would love to have been remembered for some of the kind of academic things that he wrote and, and his love of the, 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 the different historical documentaries he made and the books he wrote about that, and also as a writer generally. And I really like, uh, hopefully some of you have read things, some of his children's books, which you really don't need to be a child to read. Nico Bobinus and the, the fairy tales and the fantastic stories, uh, Saga of Eric the Viking. Um, uh, did you ever read any of... Uh... I've, I only got the, uh, the Cottingley Fairies, Pressed Fairies book, unfortunately, but I'll get some of those for my Pressed son. Pressed Fairies, though, isn't that, that book yes. there, the idea of actually just... There we go. There's another press <laughs> that fairy. That book came out in 1994, and I got a first edition of it, but I, I didn't like it that much because Brian Frode's illustrations were like grunge chicks from the early 90s. They all look like Courtney Love, so yeah. that's not my idea of a fairy, so yes. But he covered so many different um, areas as well with, with, with his writing. Um, so if you, you haven't... Uh, have you read any Terry Jones? I no, I will now. I've, I've, I've discovered Nicobominus on our children's bookshelf, so I'm going to go home and read it with them. But um, he, I, I, he's a, my, my colleague, Marion Turner, who just did the most recent biography of Chaucer, has just written a really beautiful article about Terry Jones as a Chaucerian and how the sort of Monty Python feudalism, how he saw both the, the, the he was a real scholar of that, the kind of Arthurian and Chaucerian age, but he was also saw the comedy in mm. some of these sort of very random setups. No, he was. I, I, one of the books that I loved when I was a teenager was uh, Attacks of Opinion. I don't know if you know this. It was a, a, a Puffin Plus with wonderful illustrations by Gerald Scarf. And he wrote various political pieces which were meant for kind of 10 or 11-year-olds. And there was a wonderful one. I, I suppose Clause 28, Section 28, was, was one of those things that became, I became kind of fascinated and angry about politics. And there's such a nice piece that he wrote, uh, which is Clause 28. If one person has tender feelings towards another and wants to promote that other person's happiness, we call this love. Such love is also sometimes accompanied by feelings of sexual attraction. Now, if this sort of love occurs between two people whose reproductive arrangements are different, we call it a heterosexual relationship. If the two people have the same reproductive arrangements, we call that a homosexual relationship. Of course, promoting love of any kind has always been regarded with suspicion by politicians because it's difficult to make capital out of it and I just think that is a great way and then he basically he turns it he goes I don't think it's homosexuality we should be worried about being promoted in schools I think we should write more and make sure that we don't promote politicians in schools <laughs> they seem to be venal and cruel and hateful and wish to promote hate and it, it was just oh, a lovely simple so piece for a young yeah. audience yeah. and and it shows so much just, again, his love of people and his love of humanity, which I think came out in, in all of his work. So for those of you who have never read uh, a Terry Jones book, go straight to your bookshops and, and find some of his work. Because The fairy tales. There was a lovely series called East of the Moon, which was an adaptation with animation stuff. And, and there is one in which Terry Jones plays a bumptious and ridiculous king. And it is everything you, you, you would hope as he sits on his throne. That's so, got lovely fairies in it, that one. I like those fairies. Proof of those ones. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just thought I would end by mentioning uh, Terry. Is there anything else, any final uh, um, things you would like to mention about Woodhouse? 
Oh goodness, no! I I just um, read him. I think if you if you haven't, I, I mean, I, I, it's hard to know out there in the dark whether everyone's read lots or whatever. But but there's a wonderful story called Lord Emsworth and the Girlfriend, which is meant to be the most said by I think Kipling to be the most perfect short story ever written, and it is so beautiful and so tender and such a lovely use of language, and and really won't take very long to read at all. So if you want something just to lift your spirits some joy in the morning is it lunch no it's, it's the afternoon some joy in the afternoon i would recommend lord lord emsworth and the girlfriend I've followed by lovely, lego and sex uh, yeah. i've got one so. lovely quote it's not a quote from a book it's just something he said pg would i said he was talking about books that he loves and he said he never missed an agatha christie or a rick stout is that sort of crime okay. crime detective i wasn't sure i'd written down and he wrote no. he, he and pg would said what a thing reading is isn't it and i think that's yeah. so oh. beautiful i might carry that in my pocket Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming down. Thanks very much to uh, the Slapstick Festival. And thank you very much to Joe and uh, Joanna. Sorry, I was, I've known you for too long there, uh, Joanna and, uh, and Sophie. And um, follow their work. They do wonderful things. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. Remember, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, please leave a five-star review for the show. That really helps us out, as does pledging on patreon.com slash bookshambles. Subscribe as well to Wife on Earth, Joe's podcast on the Cosmic Shambles Network. You can just search for Wife on Earth wherever you get your podcasts and you will find that We'll be back again next week, as always, with another brand new episode of Book Shambles. Have a great week, and until then, bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.